and he's a very deserving all-star. And now anyone who says, oh, that Kawhi or Kyle Lowry is no good, now, now they don't say that anymore. And so I feel thrilled for Kyle Lowry in that way. We are going to invite a couple of big Raptors fans and guys who, who have been following this team for the entire time it's been Toronto, in in Toronto, even before it got to Toronto. They are part of our 980 CFPL team, but they have such unique looks at the history of this franchise from a fan's perspective, that they can go back to the original day one and they can they can take us through some of those lean years. They've been through everything. Up, down, down, down again, up a bit, down, and then finally the rise to the NBA championship. And they are here with us now in studio. Please welcome to London Live 980 CFPL News Director Scott Monick and 980 CFPL Executive Producer Devin Peacock as we do a little bit of a Raptors roundtable. Scott, let's start with you. Let's go back. How did you become a Raptors fan? Well, I was a, a big basketball fan. Um, you know, I was growing up, of course. Michael Jordan was, was everything back in uh, the 90s. So... Um, you know, basketball was popular based on the on Jordan and the Bulls, and then the Raptors got a team. So, of course, you know, being uh, from London here and, and close to Toronto, I, I cheer for the local team. So it was just, yeah, it was it's it's incredible to think that you know I've basically been there for the entire ride. Back from the dinosaur on the jersey until <laughs> now, Devin, what made you a Raptors fan? I'm from Toronto originally, so I've always just been a fan of Toronto sports. I was a Blue Jays fan. I was a Leafs fan. I was an Argos fan. I would talk uh, sports almost every day with my grandfather when I was growing up, and I, I liked basketball. I loved Charles Barkley, and so when the Raptors were announced as uh, an NBA franchise, it was fantastic. My grandfather, I, I still have it somewhere. It's it's tucked away in storage, but he got me a hat from the Raptors' inaugural season when they were first uh, named to the NBA. So I, I've got it somewhere. My cousin dragged his out somewhere, so he was wearing his for uh, Game 5 the other day. Mine's in a storage box somewhere in Toronto somewhere, but uh, I have a Raptors hat from back even in 1993 when the franchise was first announced. It didn't start until 1995, but they were announced in 93. That's amazing. Now, first Raptor ever. A lot of people will not get this trivia question right. It is not an easy easy trivia question. Damon Stoudemire is not the right answer. Mighty Mouse? No, that's the one everybody remembers. But, Devin, the first ever Raptor was who? Vincenzo Esposito, number four. I wouldn't be surprised if you have a Vincenzo Esposito jersey somewhere, but how did Vincenzo Esposito get to be the first raptor he is a he was a shooting guard i think he was six foot six if i remember correctly (laughs) uh from italy he's now a coach in italy uh so he's uh, he didn't have a great uh pro basketball career in the nba he had a better career in in europe uh but the raptors were looking for ways to cheat the system just because you know the expansion draft it's not like the 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 vegas golden knights uh, kind of expansion drafts back in you know the mid 90s in the nba uh, the first couple of Raptors teams were not good, and so looking to find anything uh, they could find, just uh, as a guys they could put on the court. In the end, Vincenzo Esposito was not really up to the NBA, but he is the first ever Raptor signed by the Toronto uh, franchise. A little Raptors roundtable to celebrate their first ever NBA championship. Scott, you can remember very clearly the first Raptors basket. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I remember I, I watched that game, obviously, and was excited for it. Um, you know, just 
the images of the Raptors playing in the old Sky Dome, which is um, it's it's always strange now to see the old grainy uh, uh, footage of that. Um, but yeah, I, I remember that against the New Jersey Nets. Um, I remember Alvin Robertson, who. Uh, uh, that's another throwback name for everyone, but uh, scoring the first uh, three-pointer in, in franchise history. And, and yeah, that was just a moment where um, I, I remember watching that in my, in my uh, family room with my family. I just remember it was just like, this is very cool, their first ever game. And, um, and here we are, 24 and years later, NBA champs. It was a three-pointer back when three-pointers were what they are today. Yeah, back was like, oh my goodness, they took a three-pointer. <laughs> that's, that's risky. Alvin's uh, nickname was uh, Big Dog. And I don't remember there was some controversy because he was upset that Glenn Robinson, who also went by Big Dog, had co-opted his his nickname. So he was upset that uh, Alvin Big Dog Robinson was no longer recognized as the top Big Dog in the NBA. Devin Peacock, Scott Monick with us as we look back over some true Raptors history. Big moments, Devin, when you think about something from the 90s, not the signing of Vincenzo Esposito necessarily, <laughs> but but something that really stands out to you as being, hey, wait a minute, this is getting fun. Well, I mean, there was, um, I mean, A.C. Earl was the first Raptor. A.C. <laughs> <laughs> Earl is your first memory from the 90s? Was the first ever Raptor to score 40 points in a game, I think. Uh, so that was pretty cool. Uh, there was the Raptors, who in their rookie season beat the Chicago Bulls, who were like the seventy win Bulls that were like you know Jordan Bulls, and they they pulled that off. That was when like I think even Confetti came down from the the, the Raptors when <laughs> really? they did that. That was a huge win. Um, and then the second year drafting uh, Marcus Camby, and then Marcus Camby led to the trade of uh, acquiring uh, Charles Oakley, and Charles Oakley was so integral to the Raptors' first real uh, bunch of playoff teams because he was the kind of guy that was guiding along uh, Tracy McGrady, Vince Carter, and all those guys, and all the heartache that was caused by uh, Tracy and uh, Tracy and uh, Vince ultimately leaving. But uh, so mo- mostly from the early Raptors, there's more pain than jubilation, but there are some uh, moments uh, trickled here. There's like Oliver Miller, the fat center, who's like six <laughs> foot nine. Uh, like, the big know, O. The big O. Like he was great. He had great hands passing. Before Mark Gasol was making sweet passes from the five, it was Oliver Miller. There was uh, so many just random, like uh, Zon Tabak was number three. He was the center in like their first team. All these just random guys who are just like flooding back to me right now. And there was that escalation, Scott. And then all of a sudden, Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady do leave the team. And as a Raptors fan, do you look and say, well, that's just Canadian team. We're never going to be able to to kind of hold the big stars. That's been a knock for so long. Yeah, I think that's part of the reason the, the whole We the North branding and marketing campaign has worked so well, right? Because... Um, for Raptors fan, it really has felt like us against the NBA world because uh, the history of the franchise is is one where you know it's been a struggle to to either attract players to come here in free agency or even just to convince our guys to stay and sign long term contracts. Um, and after the Vince era flamed out, I mean, it, it was looking so promising with Vince and, and Tracy McGrady, as Devin mentioned, and then. It was like you you snapped your fingers and it was over, right? It was it was um, you know not too long after uh, Vince missed that shot against the 76ers um, in the second round that um, the wheels kind of came off and, and and eventually led to Vince asking for uh, a trade out of Toronto. So I mean, this is just incredible. Just as a Raptors fan, I don't think I, up until recently this wasn't even in. My position to win the championship because they have no lottery picks on their team. They have Kawhi Leonard, obviously, 
who is a superstar, one of the three best, if not the best player in the NBA right now. But typically, you don't win in the NBA with no lottery picks. The Raptors did have lottery picks throughout the years, but they traded a lot of them to get the players they have right now. And so you have guys like Fred Van Vliet, who wasn't drafted into the league. They've put their team together in unconventional ways. And so there is really no modern precedent for where the Raptors are this morning. And as much as it might sound, okay, well, that's how you build a team, in the NBA, that's not how you build a team. No. You mentioned this is this is not the blueprint. Usually it's done much differently than this. Scott, when the season started playing out, the Raptors were not the best team. Everybody's going to think back and think, yeah, yeah, they finished first overall, and then they beat Orlando, and then they beat Phil, and they're going to go through that in their minds. It it wasn't like that. This this was not a slam dunk. This was load management of Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> what are they doing? Yeah, one of the games I went to uh, in person this season, I saw the Raptors play the Milwaukee Bucks during the regular season. Um, and that was a much hyped game. I remember it was uh, it was on national TV in Canada and the U.S. And uh, the the Bucks uh, took care of business and, and beat the Raptors rather handily. So if, if you remember coming to the playoffs, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks were sort of the favorites, and they were the number one seed. And people didn't really uh, know what to expect from this Raptors team, just given the fact that. Um, you know, Kawhi was sort of in and out of the lineup throughout the season. Kyle Lowry had some injuries. They made the Marcus Gasol trade. Um, so their sort of core group um, hadn't had a lot of time together on the actual basketball court. Um, so this was just, again, just an, a remarkable run. And you think back, I mean, to... Uh, and this is just sort of, you know, is, is how sports generally works, but injuries and everything plays a part in, in, in sort of these championship runs. Um, and, and you think back to how close they were to losing to the 76ers in that game seven. I mean, if that shot, you know, just bounces a different way, then they're going off to overtime and then who knows what happens. You think back to the Milwaukee series. Milwaukee was up 2-0 in that series. Um, and a lot of people uh, were writing the Raptors off at that point. So, um, it's it's just been a crazy roller coaster ride, and it's it's hard to again it's it's hard to wrap your head around the fact that that they are in fact champions this morning. Let's finish the ride. We're talking with 980 CFPL executive producer Devin Peacock, 980 CFPL news director Scott Monick. Last night, things were a little bit different than they had been in much of this series where the Raptors were not leading much of the game as as they tended to during other games in this series comes down to the end, and it still doesn't seem easy. Even Clay Thompson is no longer in the game, but the possession where Golden State was expected to foul. The Raptors are up one point. Danny Green gets the ball and throws a pass. It goes off Pascal Siakam's hand, out of bounds, turnover. Knowing and feeling what you have over the last few years, following this team, seeing what has happened, what was going through both of your minds when that turnover happened and Golden State, with about nine seconds left, was going to get a shot that could win the game. Um, well, first off, I'd like to apologize to all my neighbors because uh, <laughs> I let the expletives fly. Um, at that point, I was unable to sit or stand, uh, so I was kind of pacing around and I was kind of jumping and I just had so much nervous energy. I, 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 I can't remember what was going through my mind. I was kind of like drunk on championship uh, Raptors after the fact because I had people were texting me to say, did you hear that? And I know I was watching the TV and I, you know, I just, everything kind of went in and out. So I, I just remember thinking, oh crap, uh, we're going to lose this because it's, de- even though there's no clay and there's no Kevin Durant and the Warriors are hobbled, there's still Steph Curry and all he needs is just, you know, a sliver of daylight and he can hit that dagger, whether it's a two or a three. And 
it didn't happen. Uh, the, the Raptors pulled it out. It was it was absolutely nuts. In a strange way, it, it is a little um, poetic that you know. You, again, you think back to sort of the all time moments with this franchise, and again going back to the Vince shot um, prior to this playoff run. That's sort of the one that stands out for everyone, and just. Um, hitting the back rim against the 76ers, just missing that shot uh, by the slimmest of margins. And then you flash forward here to 2019 and literally the greatest shooter in the history of the NBA. Steph Curry is going to go down as the greatest shooter, um, bar none. And he has, I don't want to say an open look, but a, a pretty clean look at the rim uh, to hit that three at the end. And uh, and he missed. And it's, 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 it's incredible. And as I said before, you need some lucky breaks along the way. And that's right up there among them for the Raptors. Well, just the other thing that kind of popped in my mind as uh, Scott was talking was just, you know, when the scramble for the ball after he missed, and uh, the Warriors jumping on it and, you know, calling timeout when they didn't have any timeouts and all the, just the Chris Weber references people were making uh, that from text and then on Twitter was just, I, it kind of, I, I, I kind of uh, liked the, the Chris Weber stuff from the Warriors just kind of shows like even as, you know, as, you know, strong as they are of mind and on the court, they still had that little slip up that we all kind of make. And so, you know, that stuff happens and it's, you know, the NBA finals are crazy and... Uh, Toronto Raptors are NBA Finals champions. They are. Kawhi Leonard makes two final three throws to put them up by four and eliminate any chance that Golden State could even inbound the ball and lob it down the court and get some kind of lucky thing that only their team could get. And now, as Devin says it, Raptors are NBA champions. Both of you bask in this for as long as you can. Oh, I will. Let's get the parade going. Let's do it. Happens on Monday, right? Yes, Monday in Toronto. That is 980 CFPL News Director Scott Monick and 980 CFPL Executive Producer Devin Peacock. You also hear Devin on the Taz Show on FM 96. We're going to take a break. We'll let you know what's still ahead on the show. We'll talk some baseball. We're going to meet a guy who got from Australia to London. Boy, we've had some of these stories this week. From Brazil to London, now from Australia to London, where he is now a brand new part of the London Knights. That's coming up in a little over a half hour from now. Baseball with Rob Thompson, inductee to the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame this year. The induction ceremonies are this weekend. But we're also going to hear from uh, Plant Guy. Yeah, we'll, have to, we'll tell you a little bit more about Plant Guy, how that all came together. And then you'll, you'll hear Plant Guy. If you don't know him already, you need to. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. When a team wins championships, people get uh, really popular because everybody's drawn to winning and winners. Plant guys become really popular. You can go to our 980CFPL Twitter feed and catch a little bit of Plant Guy, courtesy of Mark Carcassaw, Global News reporter. Uh, we'll play you why Plant Guy has become so popular in just a moment. We'll do that after news. want to remind you, Sports Sunday airs this Sunday from noon until 12.30. Around the OHL has taken a little bit of a break, so we're delving into a lot of the local sports stories. We'll go through all of the ties to the area on the Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues. We're going to talk Women's World Cup of Soccer. We're going to hear about a great soccer phenom on the men's side in this area. And we're also going to have some sights and sounds of Jurassic Park as the Raptors did win that championship last night, courtesy of 980 CFPL's Kelly Wong. So all of that comes up this weekend on Sports Sunday between noon 
and 12.30. We're going to talk some baseball. Rob Thompson, bench coach of the Philadelphia Phillies, Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame inductee, joins us in about 10 minutes. News is on the way next. This is London Live on a Friday on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Just watching a little of the Raptors celebration in the locker room last night. Remember old days of celebrations in the 80s and stuff before you had the mindset to say, yeah, this hurts. How about we find a way to make it not hurt next time? We used to do a lot of things. Why did you do that? Well, because that's the way you did it. You know, I'm I'm digging with this shovel. This This hurts. I'm down weeding and my back is hurting. Now, all of a sudden, we have, you know, weeding devices that you can stand up and use, and and our shovels have ergonomic handles to them. It's pretty wild. Well, back in the day, of course, people would be spraying champagne all over the place. It gets in your eyes, and all the players and the coaches would be going, oh, my eyes sting, this champagne is awful. And then, I think it was the Boston Red Sox, wasn't it? Were they the, or maybe the Chicago White Sox? Uh, I don't know. It was. It seems like it should have a socks in the name, but they were the ones who decided. You know what would be better if we protected our eyes? Let's get some goggles. And so the Raptors last night were in like ski masks and ski goggles and having a great old time. And I hope that those kinds of celebrations are continuing for them. The celebrations went long into the night in Toronto last night, as they did in many other cities, including London, Ontario. But there was one guy in particular who has drawn the attention now of the world, because this thing really has gone absolutely everywhere. And this is radio, so I'm sorry, but we can't play you the pictures. If you want the pictures, go to our Twitter feed. Go to our 980CFPL Twitter feed because we've retweeted this Global News tweet, or you can go to the Global News Twitter feed. And check out Plant Guy. We're going to play the audio from Plant Guy right now, but in order to envision this, I want you to picture a fairly tall guy. He's wearing a Raptors hat. He's had a lot to drink, and he's carrying in his hand a plant. Now, it's a tropical plant. Let's say you were in a hotel somewhere, okay? So you're in a nice hotel. What do they have in the lobby? They have tropical plants in pots, So picture that. It's it's about six feet tall, this plant, and it's a tropical fern of some kind. And picture what it would look like if you walked up to that fern and shook off the pot and just started to lug around the plant, okay? That's Plant Guy. And here is Mark Carcassol of Global News on the streets of Toronto last night as he meets Plant Guy. What's with the plant, man? Where'd you get that? It's a housewarming gift for Kauai. Oh, I see. He's staying. Does he know this yet? I'm waiting for him. I'm waiting. Have you seen him? I haven't seen him yet. I think he's somewhere in Oakland right now celebrating his butt off. Well, when you see him, tell him I got a housewarming gift. Tell him I love him. I will. What kind of plant is that? Tell him thank you for the shot. What kind of plant is that? It's a plant for Kauai. It's a Kauai plant. It's a Kauai plant. It's a Kauai cactus. Have a good night, man. Coactus. Coactus. I like it. It's a coactus. It's a plant guy says it's a coactus. I think plant guy. Um, I think he's. I think he's doing well. I think he's having a good night. Let's just put it that way. Coactus. We the forest. It's a new. It's a new species of plant. We the forest. We the forest. Have a good night. There you that, go. That's him. Plant guy, ladies and gentlemen. That's Mark Carcassol, global news reporter on the streets of Toronto. In the background, he was saying, we the forest, wasn't he? 
This guy, we need to find him. But you know what? This is the guy who woke up this morning and had all of his buddies texting him saying, hey, you're everywhere, dude. And he would have no idea what they're talking about. What do you mean I'm everywhere? You're everywhere. You and the plant. What plant? What are you talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. And then he would get to watch the video and say, I have no idea how that happened. Why am I walking around with a plant from some ritzy hotel? How did that? How did I get here? Let's take a break. Up next, we are going to chronicle how Rob Thompson got to the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. He goes in this weekend, and he goes in with three other very distinguished individuals. And they are Ryan Dempster, Jason Bay, and Gord Ash. Rob Thompson, bench coach of the Philadelphia Phillies, and one proud Canadian, and a guy that we Canadians can be proud of, from Corona. Huh? He'll join us on London Live. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. If you are planning to head to St. Mary's tomorrow for the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame induction ceremony, do it. If you've never been, definitely do it. It is tremendous. You heard a lot of uh, great baseball stories from everybody going in. Ryan Dempster this year, Jason Bay, Gord Ash, and our next guest, Rob Thompson, who has won the World Series with the New York Yankees. He is now a bench coach with the Philadelphia Phillies. He's been elected to the Hall and very soon will be an official Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame member. Rob joins us now on London Live. Rob, what is this like? Well, I'll tell you, it's, it's, Mike, it's very humbling. I mean, it, it is a great honor, and especially with the, the three guys that I'm going in with, Gordash, Jason Bay, and, and uh, Ryan Dempster, you know, three all Canadians to begin with, and and have had such great careers. So it's it's very humbling. It's um, uh, you know it's it's going to be a, a filled up weekend, but uh, it's worth it. And I get to see a lot of family and friends and ex teammates and coaches and things like that that have uh, kind of molded me along the way. So it's it's going to be a lot of fun. The baseball world is really, really big. When you look at how many players play the sport and you look all through the minors, into the majors, and now what we have going internationally, but how small does the baseball world get at a time like this? Yeah, very small. You know, I mean, everybody kind of crosses paths at some point. And, and you know, Ryan Dempster, for example, is, is was a pitcher for Larry Rothschild, who was our pitching coach in New York. And... and Gordash, I've I've known and respected for a long time, and um, you know Jason Bay had some big home runs against us when he was with the Mets and with the Red Sox, and it's it's a very small um, small fraternity, um, but it's it's a very close knit fraternity at the same time. Let's go back in time. Players from Canada that are able to pursue baseball have a, a disadvantage, and that disadvantage is known as winter. How did you yeah. make sure that, that you were able to get from Corona to even the minors and, and even you know onto the radar? How do you feel you did that as a player? Well, I was very fortunate. You know, I, had, I had really good coaching in Sarnia. Um, I, I was coached by a couple of guys, uh, two brothers, Larry, Larry and Glenn LaCour, who were, had a big impact on my life and very good coaches and, and I got the opportunity to go to junior college in Port Huron, Michigan, play for a guy by the name of Dick Groach, who ended up was the, the scout for the Yankees that drafted Derek Jeter. And um that kinda 
got me into the University of Kansas and and then got me into pro ball. But I, you know, I think that uh, baseball now in Canada is, is much better than it used to be. I mean, there's so many programs now. And Greg Hamilton with Baseball Canada does such a wonderful job um, developing these kids in Canada and 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 all the. It seems like there's there's a lot more kids playing the, the sport in Canada and getting a lot of really good t- talent out of the out of the country. So uh, I think it's really grown, and I think the the coaches and especially Greg Hamilton have done a great job to to promote the game and and keep it growing in this country. We're talking with Rob Thompson on London Live. Rob is the bench coach of the Philadelphia Phillies, a World Series champion, Olympian on your resume, playing for Canada at the Olympics. Take us back to that. Well, that was really something. You know, I, I come from, as you said, from Corona, which is 2,000 people, and I was one of the younger players on the, on the team. And actually, I think the youngest player on the team was a guy by the name of Mike Gardner, who uh, I think he was 19 or 20 at the time. He's from Courtright, which is right next to Corona. And Corey might have 800 people in it. So, you know, you, you, the Olympics were in, in Los Angeles that year. And for a couple of kids from Corona and, and Courtright, these small towns, so, to roll into Dodger Stadium and play in front of 50,000 people can be pretty intimidating. But uh, it was a lot of fun. And, and you know, have a lot of great teammates, great coaches there. Eric McKenzie from, from Sarnia, Dick Roach was on the staff. Uh, Brian McRoby and Alf Payne, great coaches, great players. Um, they really took good care of us young guys. And uh, and Mike ended up pitching the last game of uh, of the third game that we played in the Olympics, which was our last game. It was against Japan, and and he pitched great. This nineteen twenty year old kid, you know, from Courtright, um, shutting down the this strong J- Japanese team that ended up winning the the gold medal. Um, so it was, it was a lot of fun. It was, uh, a great time. We all still kind of stay in touch with each other and, and, uh, great teammates, great friends, great experience. You were going through the minors. Where did the transition come from player to, Hey, you know what? Maybe I'm going to take life in a different direction. Yeah. I, you know, I, I just got married and, um, I knew, you know, I was drafted by the Tigers and I knew pretty early on in my career that that there were a lot of really, really, really good players out there that were younger than I was, better than I was. And um, being a pretty good self-evaluator, I knew that this, you know, the, the stars had to align for me to, to get to the big leagues as a player. So after um, one spring training, I was working out with a double-A club and they sent me back to the A-ball roster and I went in and said, you know, I think it's time. I just got married. I think it's time for me to to pack it in and and do something else with my life. And so Detroit offered me a coaching position um, in in the Florida State League, which is A ball. And the next year, I went to London. Uh, the first year, the London Tigers, and I was a Double A coach there. And then and then after that, I went to the Yankees for 28 years, and then um, and then to the Phillies for the last two. But uh, yeah, it was it was quite a transition, but uh, it was the right choice i guess at the time looking back on it now but uh, i knew at the time that uh, i didn't have enough talent to to get to the big leagues as a player at the same time you stayed in the game and you ride the buses in the minors which probably you have to do it to be able to explain it what is that kind of 
life like when you are playing as much as you are in so many different places, sometimes in, in really spread out leagues? Yeah, it's a, it's a grind, you know. And we've had bus trips that were 12, 13 hours long. You know, you play on a on a Sunday, you get on a bus, and you're 13 hours later, you're in a different town, and you're playing on Monday night. But uh, it's a grind. It's it's tough travel. It's tough on uh, married guys because, you know, their, their wives have to probably be at home. They're not making much money, so their wives are working. Kids are you know, away from it, and it can be difficult. It's a little bit easier now than it was then, but, um, you know, the, the the food's not that great, the meal money's not that great, the, the pay's not that great, but uh, somehow you, you you grind through it to, to try to reach your goal and reach your, reach your dream. So um, it's difficult, but it's if you do it the right way, you, you learn some great lessons along the way. Rob Thompson joining us, Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame inductee, World Series champion, bench coach with the Philadelphia Phillies. How many nights were there where you said, "I got to stop"? I got to. Were there any? Were there Were there a lot? No, I don't think so. I, you know, as a player, yeah, because I, as I said, I, I didn't. I knew that I wasn't talented enough. But as a coach, you you keep going because your mindset's a little bit different than it because it's. When you're coaching, it's not about you. It's about somebody else all the time. And and if you want to be a great coach, then that's that's what your mindset's got to be. So you're always thinking about someone else. You're always thinking about how am I going to make this player better or this situation better or this team better. Um, so once I get into coaching, it it was never really thinking about you know I got to get out of this. I I just I never thought that way. The call to the majors. How did that happen? Well, I was the uh, farm director with the Yankees um, well, for four, four or five years, field coordinator, farm director. And I was running spring training for Joe Torrey from, from um, 98 to 2003. And so I'd organize all the workouts and all the, all, you know, all that stuff. And, and in 2003, he gave me a call and, and well, I actually called Mr. Steimer and Mr. Steimer gave me a call and said, look, Joe wants you to to go to New York with him and, and be the um, extra coach in the big leagues and kind of organize everything on a day-to-day basis, not just in spring training. So I talked to my wife about it and accepted the position. And so, and since that day, I've been, I've been a big league coach. And you have been through some of the most amazing runs. You think of some of the World Series wins, how they happened, what you had to go through. Uh, there have to be millions of memories, but when you're telling people Yankee stories, are there any that kind of pop to mind right away? Well, I, yeah, I, you know, the 09 World Series beating the Phillies and, and that run that we had and that team that we had was just an amazing group of, of guys and, and, you know, obviously talented, but they um, they were shoulder to shoulder all the way and, and that was that was an amazing run, and, and and there's some losses in there too. You know, I remember in 2004, my first year, we that was the year that Boston came back and beat us four straight in the, in the playoffs. And I remember after Game Seven, I we were in Old Yankee Stadium, and I I, I popped my head into Joe Torre's office, and I said, I said, Joe, are you doing okay? And he said, he said, yeah, I'm I'm fine. He said, I'm a little bit worried about you though. And I said, why? He said, because 
until you got here, we had never done this before. <laughs> and so, yeah, so there's some, there's some tough losses there. There's some, some really great wins. Um, you know, it's just, it's just been filled with memories. Is Joe the kind of guy that at least you knew he was joking right away, or did that kind of catch you off guard oh, yeah, for a second? No, no I, I knew he was joking, but, it, you know, it was, it was such a tough loss. And that, that was Joe's, um, you know, Joe had a very slow heartbeat. You know, nothing really upset him too much. And, and although he was probably very upset, um, you know, he, he doesn't show his emotions, and, and that's just the way Joe is. He's a, he's a wonderful man, and I, I love working for him. Now you're the bench coach with the Philadelphia Phillies. You're in a great race with the Atlanta Braves. The NL East yeah. is not an easy division. You can throw in the Mets, and you never know when those Nationals are going to catch fire again. You get to watch Bryce Harper pitch or uh, hit a lot, and and uh, you get to watch Nola pitch a lot. What has this year been like? It's been great. You know, I we have a, a really talented club and a, and a really um, – fantastic group of of men here and and yeah you know you got harper you got hoskins you got jt real muto who to me is probably the best catcher in baseball and aaron nola and 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 zach Eflin and hector naris and tommy hunter david robertson is a really really good club and 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 you know we need to get healthy a little bit in our bullpen but it's going to be a tight race there's a lot of good teams in this in this division and um you know it's it's going to be a a fun, uh, a fun race to the end. You know, we're in Atlanta this weekend. Unfortunately, I'm well. Fortunately, I'm going to be in in St. Mary's, but unfortunately, I'm not going to be with the club. But um, you know, you, you hate missing those games, but you got to do what you got to do, I guess. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's it's going to be a lot of fun coming down to the end, and and um, we got a good club, and and I like our chances. Well, we wish you the best of luck with the Phillies. Rob, thanks for spending some time with us. And again, congratulations and enjoy the weekend. Thanks, Mike. I really appreciate it. Rob Thompson, bench coach of the Philadelphia Phillies, native of Corona, proud Canadian, Olympian, and soon-to-be official inductee of the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. Induction ceremonies are tomorrow. Get there early. That's the only advice we ever get. Parking gets difficult. Get there early and do take it in because it's a blast of a day. We will let you know what's still ahead on London Live when we return. We're going to find out how somebody went from Australia to the London Knights. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFBL. Now, here's your. You know what I think we're going to be able to do after news? Learn to surf in London, Ontario. Stay away from the Thames. Don't go there. No, that's not where we're... we're going to get some instructions from someone who knows how to do it, who is now working with the London Knights. Wait a minute. The Knights don't surf. Well, never know. They might after this year. We're going to meet Matt Day, their new director of corporate partnerships and sales. And he's got an amazing story that takes him from Australia, where his dad was a champion surfer. And gets him to Canada, to London, and into the hockey world. How did it all happen? It's a few degrees of separation. Maybe double digits. Matt will take us through them. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Want to wish all our best to Teresa Carrier, who just passed the 65-kilometer mark and cheering station number two. Right around Strathroy, she is 
doing her one run today. And just watching a video on Twitter, I'll retweet it. You can find that at Stubbs980 if you want to take a look. If you don't know what Teresa is doing today, she's running 100 kilometers. We talked to her yesterday. She joined us in studio a couple of weeks ago. And this is basically raising money for the fight against cancer, helping those affected by cancer. You can visit onerun.ca and find out more information. If you would like to donate, they've raised over a million dollars. This is the fifth time Teresa has won one, run 100 kilometers in a single day. And she's already at 65K and still going incredibly strong. She runs with different people each kilometer. My wife, Kirsten, and I are going to be heading out and joining Teresa tonight at kilometer number 90. So look forward to that. And if you would like to go to St. Andre Bissette High School at the north end of London, they have a whole big celebration of the end of the day planned, and it runs from 4 o'clock until 7 o'clock. So that gets going very shortly, and it, again, will just capture what Teresa has done. Unreal. When you ask her what it was like the first time, she always uses the same word, terrifying, because she didn't know whether she was going to be able to do it. And she was able to run back and forth four different times from either London to Sarnia or Sarnia to London. And uh, that's that's pretty tremendous. And she does this really fast. I mean, if you're going for a jog this weekend, she runs at roughly six minutes a kilometer, which is pretty quick. It really is. And she keeps that going right on through. So she is now just around Strathroy and then will make her way back toward London and again, wrap up tonight at St. Andre Bissette. And you can be there. She won't be there at 4 o'clock, but she will be there definitely before 7 o'clock. And they've got all kinds of activities planned, barbecue, so please stop on by. This hour, we are also going to hear from Matt Weaver. We followed his story, Matt from Country 104. And he has he's dealt with some superstitions through the Raptors' run, so we have to talk about that. We also have to congratulate and take you back in time. We had one of the most bold predictions from Ward 6 counselor Phil Squire on London Live before the NBA Finals began. We were going to talk Cycle Lanes and King Street with Councillor Squire. And even before we got going, he said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I want to say something. And he made a prediction. Last night that prediction came true. So we have to talk with Councillor Squire. We're going to do that in about a half hour from now. Right now, we get an opportunity to meet a guy who joins us in studio. Matt Day is the Director of Corporate Partnerships and Sales with the London Knights. Brand new to London and the London Knights family. And originally from Australia. Moved to Canada 15 years ago. And... Matt, it's it's great having you here. Let's piece this together. You getting from Australia to the London Knights. There is definitely a story there. If we can have six degrees of separation with Kevin Bacon, we might be able to hit double-digit degrees of separation with you. What do you think? Can we hit double digits? I think we can, yeah. No, I'm very, very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, welcome to London. Welcome to the London Knights. Thank you. No. 
as I said, very happy to be here. I'm very f- familiar with London, uh, my wife and her family from here, so I uh, know it very, very well. Perfect. Let's let's go back. You're in Australia, and your father is a two-sport athlete in Australia. And I always love it because when people say two-sport athlete in North America, it's often, oh, he plays uh, baseball and football? Uh, no. Uh, hockey and golf? Mm, not exactly. What exactly was he playing? Well, he was a Aussie Rules football player. So uh, if uh, your listeners know anything about Aussie Rules football, it's basically 36 guys, 18 a team, running around chasing a, a ball. So think Tim Bits hockey. So, uh, <laughs> you know, there was, there's really no rules. There's just a whole bunch of people having fun. So, yeah, he did that in the, the late 70s, and uh, it was a great time where you could actually do the two sports, and uh, the, the recreational side was surfing. So he, he did that and actually was a strange champion way back in 1978 so Australian surfing champion Australian surfing champion so uh, yeah that was 1978 and his best friends actually then went on um, he he then digressed and did the educational route and became a airline pilot for Qantas and they went off and started the world surfing tour which is the governing body of surfing or the OHL or the NHL yeah of surfing and of surfing right now and yeah. it was kicked off then. It was kicked off then in 1978 there. So a couple of guys sitting around after surfing, having a couple of beers and saying, hey, how, how can we make this more professional? And here, here we are. That is amazing. We're talking with Matt Day in studio. Matt is the Director of Corporate Partnerships and Sales with the London Knights. But like we said, there are a few degrees of separation. So we've been in Australia. You're around the surfing world. You're around the Aussie rules football world. We're still not into even the hockey world yet. We even haven't even touched ice just yet. Now, did you surf much as a kid? Little different to growing up in southern Ontario, yes. Uh, we surfed every morning before school, so that was our morning shower. We'd uh, get up early, go surfing with Dad, come in, dry off, and uh, go to school after after school, keep surfing. So, yeah, that was a, you know, winter there is, you know, 16, 17 degrees Celsius above zero. So, you know, we we grew up, it was just part of our culture. Fortunately, I think Matt knows what he's getting into here because you've you've been away from Australia for a little bit. So you've already been through some Canadian winters, and uh, we don't have to warn you about what's coming. But if someone was to ever go and surf, whenever you you go, we'll go and and vacation, and you'll you'll see a surfing class that you can take on vacation, or you try body surfing, and you realize. This is really hard. This this is almost impossible. What is a key to surfing well? Uh, obviously the balance, but also having the right tool in the surfboard. The thicker the surfboard and the rounder the nose, the easier it is to float. Just common logic and being, being able to time the waves when you ride in. And I mean, surfing is a very humbling experience. If you think you're going to go out there and dazzle them and surf 10, 10 foot waves right off right off the bat and that's that that's not going to happen you've got to learn the uh, f- fundamentals but uh, if you've got good balance and the right board that's thick with a rounded nose uh, that that's a very good start see next time you're on vacation now you know what to do you don't necessarily take the board that they give you or just grab the random one you got to look so we're looking for thick and we're looking for a nice rounded nose. nose yeah okay. so start start with a mini mal would you know Six foot nine to seven foot four. Okay. And you have to land your feet on the board at exactly the same time, right? Or the board tips over? Correct. Yes. It's all about finding the right balance and uh, keeping that uh, 
that plank nice and straight. See, we're going to talk OHL hockey, but you can never avoid an opportunity to learn to surf on the radio, especially on a Friday. Matt Day with us, London Knights Director of Corporate Partnerships and Sales. So you wind up going away from Australia. Where do you go next? Was part part of my studies of doing sports management and uh, business. My internship was Huntington Beach, California, during the U.S. Open of surfing. So I was there and building bleachers on the beach at nineteen and for seven hundred thousand people. I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of this. This it takes over. Huntington Beach is not that big, but the surfers uh, fill it. Largest surfing contest. In the world, now uh, brought out by the uh, Summer X Games. But in 2001, I was doing that, cutting my teeth there, learning my craft, sales, service, corporate partnerships, uh, and then eventually... Ended up in Canada. So, uh, you know, Huntington Beach to uh, the Great White North. What part of the Great White North did you arrive in? How white and north was it? I actually didn't know where I was going. It just seemed like a good idea at the time. (laughs) Um, Evidently... It's Muskoka. It's cottage country. Uh, one of the most notorious uh, parts of Canada. Um, one of the most beautiful parts of the of, of Canada. I worked at a place called Cleveland's House. Um, just a summer job there before I thought, you know what, I'll go back to Oz. Um, skip forward 15 years and I'm still here. Married young kid and uh, living in southern Ontario, London, and loving life. That is fantastic. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Now, cottage country does tend to have bugs. Does Australia have insects? you have mosquitoes and things like that? or I actually enjoyed it because it was one of the bugs that didn't kill you. So, oh, okay. Because uh, yeah. Australia has bugs. Bugs, spiders, snakes, that kill sharks, you. everything. So, right. Yeah. Uh, it's just, I mean, yes, there's bugs up there. There's the black flies, all, all that kind of stuff. But uh, no, it's beautiful. It's campfires, great family time up there. When you bump a rock, though, in the Muskokas, there's not a great big hairy spider under it or... Not at all. Not yeah. at all. No, you can... Can that happen in Australia? Yeah, you always check the water when you go into it. There's rule of thumb when you go sort of north of... Uh, Brisbane, there you always check the bath water because you didn't know if there's a croc there or what's uh, living in your, in your bathtub. Unbelievable. Okay, well, that's fantastic. So you wind up in the Muskokas. You have had, and I'm just going to grab a little bit of, of what Matt has done. Okay, I'm just going to read one sentence. Uh, Olympic and Commonwealth Games, FIFA World Cup, National Hockey League, NBA, MLS, CFL, Canadian Open, being part of the PGA Tour, Australian Open in tennis, Rogers Cup in tennis, Montreal Grand Prix in auto racing. Uh, That's just one sentence. I don't know if there's anything else in North America that we have. I'm going to lift this up and hope there isn't a spider under it, but I don't, I don't, that's racing. That's every single sport I can think of other than yachting. You ever been part of yachting? Not yet, but that's part of the <laughs> retirement plan. <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, the the experience that you've built up, what's it been like being a part of things that have partnered with all of these events? Honestly, I've just followed my passion points. Uh, I, I've loved it. I've been fortunate enough to make the great relationships and with partnerships, it's definitely all about the relationships. And I think about having a fundamental game plan uh, with, with every role that I've had and just, just learning from that and adding value wherever I go to the people I work with, to my partners, to the fans, uh, just creating a fun and memorable experience for the organization that I work for, as well as myself. We're talking with Matt Day, Director of Corporate Partnerships and Sales with the London Knights. Okay, let's let's switch to hockey. Mm-hmm. 
What stands out to you about hockey in Canada? Because you're able to appreciate it as someone who, who didn't grow up immersed in it. I love the nationalistic pride it has. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to work with the Montreal Canadiens and the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs and, and Marlies. Uh, but here as well, too, the families, the community, the team building, the camaraderie, everything about a team sport, those fundamental principles, whether it's hockey, whether it's Aussie rules, football, whatever it may be, they transcend. And that's that's what I've noticed about it. And more, more so, Canada is a hockey nation. Yes, the Raptors won last night, but we are a traditional hockey nation. And as soon as we win the Memorial Cup, not promising, but there's a bright future there and the Leafs win, the nationalistic pride is going to be there. I was in Vancouver when uh, Sidney Crosby scored that goal and I've never seen anything like it. It's just just fantastic. And I that's that's what motivates me. That's what gravitates me towards the game of hockey. Um, and if I can add value based on my experience to everybody around me, then that that's something I'm looking to do. Amazing. Well, again, welcome to the London Knights. Uh, it's uh, it's a pretty wild. See, how many degrees of separation do we have there? I think we are double digits, but it's great that all of them have brought you to London, Ontario. Matt, thanks for the time today. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Matt Day, Director of Corporate Partnerships and Sales with the London Knights. Let's take a break. Next, we are going to talk with another Matt. You know him as Weaver from Country 104 as we focus back in on the Toronto Raptors. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFBL. Throughout the playoffs, uh, certainly throughout the finals, we have chronicled Matt Weaver of Country 104 and the role that he has played in bringing the Toronto Raptors their first ever NBA championship. Weaver would go out with his dogs and do the very same thing throughout the Milwaukee series, set the PVR, come back half hour late, and it turned a 2-0 deficit in that series into a four straight victory for the Toronto Raptors as they beat the Milwaukee Bucks in six. And then came the finals. And Weaver, you were balancing birthday parties and trips to Jurassic Park in Toronto. Ultimately, though... The Raptors are now NBA champions. I just want to know how you're doing today. It is a good day, Mike. And let me just say, ever since the routine started with the dogs and the PVR and the Milwaukee series, the Raptors went 8-2 and two in the playoffs. So to your audience, you're very welcome for my <laughs> efforts. Thank you. What was it like last night being... As big a fan as you are watching a game in which the Raptors didn't lead a whole lot, in which the Raptors ended up giving up a last opportunity to Golden State... What was that like? It was nerve-wracking. First of all, huge shout-out to both the Toronto Raptors and the Golden State Warriors for what was a fantastic basketball game back and forth, defensively, offensively, and just passionately. These teams uh, were just fantastic last night. It was an edge-of-your-seat kind of game, Mike. It really was, and it was an emotional roller coaster, a bit of a different ride then game five, which was also an emotional roller coaster, maybe a difference of maybe the behemoth versus Le- Leviathan at Canada's Wonderland or something like that. <laughs> both, both very good roller coasters, but a different ride. And, ah, it just felt good last night. Game seven, I don't know 
if we wanted a Game 7. Sure, it's at home, but like Raptors fans, I am a Raptors fan. Can you hear the anxiety in me even thinking about a Game 7? The arena would not have felt like a home atmosphere. So good on the boys for closing it on the road last night. It was something else. Uh, my, my only disappointment in the game was that five minutes at the end where you had no clue what was happening and the Raptors didn't have a clue what was happening and nobody knew. And I'm screaming at the TV. I, I am literally screaming at my television, who fouled? Was it them or was it us? Why are they reviewing this? And I swear to goodness, we reviewed at my house on the PVR that final play like six times. And I'm yelling at the screen, no Raptors touched anybody. You know what I mean? Don't foul. Don't call a foul. Oh, it was something else. But finally, when that celebration came out, it was it was just a nice release of emotion. You should see the smile on Weaver's face. It's a good day. Weaver, it is a good day. Enjoy all of the celebrating that is going on. Am I allowed to call in sick Monday? I don't know. <laughs> There's a parade if you want to go to that. <laughs> you might not leave Jurassic Park. I said, can they get the parade started? I don't think they've finished partying in Toronto yet. I think we should start the parade somewhere else in Canada and just kind of carry it along. I think I don't know how we would coordinate that, but I think we could get a, a multi-city parade. Well, what's fun about uh, championship runs is you learn new things about your team and your city. And last night, I did not know that Young Street was claimed as the longest continuous street in the world. Probably should just start at one end of Young Street and go straight to the end. That should be the parade for Canada. That sounds good. I like it. Weaver, enjoy. Matt Weaver from Country 104. Okay, Toronto Raptors are still NBA champions. Nobody takes that away. St. Louis Blues are Stanley Cup champions. You know what this means? We're all going to go to bed a little earlier. I don't know about you. If you wear a fitness tracker, just take a look at your sleeps the last little while, and uh, it'll tell you, yeah, five hours, six hours, three hours and 14 minutes. That's called a Raptors championship celebration, isn't it? All kinds of fun, and again, this is a team that took a chance. As as you get older, you know what you do, at least I find, you don't cheer for a team like you used to, and especially with the way that sports has evolved. It used to be you sat there and you said, okay, well, this player should play with this player on this line, and this should have... I don't find the second-guessing of coaching as much, but the managing side of things, that's where everybody kind of has their interest go. And the NBA is a perfect example, and they've embraced it. And you will have stories that come out that deal more with managing rosters and things like that, and they will take away game line stories for whatever game is being played. But the way that sports is going, that's that's the side of things. And to look at the managerial job of Masai Ujiri of the Toronto Raptors. And, hey, credit the coaching job of Nick Nurse. He made a lot of changes. He used a box and one. Go and find a 12-year-old basketball player and ask them. They'll know what a box and one is. And you usually play it when the other team has this really, really good player and everybody else is just okay. That's what you use. You don't use it in the NBA. Raptors used it a lot and it worked to their I guess their their advantage in a big way. But to look at the risk that Masai Ujiri took going and getting Kawhi Leonard, some of the risks that he took in, in really trading away big pieces of the team, bringing in Marcus Gasol, that was, that was just amazing. And Masai Ujiri, 
is a guy who today is in the news for a scuffle with a police officer. He probably didn't have his lanyard on. If you've ever been anywhere where you've had to wear a lanyard and you don't have it on, you'll get stopped by security, and rightly so. They've got to do their job, but if you don't have the right letter combination or color combination, whatever they're going with, you can't get to some of the places that are available to everybody. And you've got to have your lanyard. I don't know if that's what it was. Hopefully that story doesn't get too, too big. But Masai Ujiri should be a really big story, book-writing story, to talk about what he did in order to help the Raptors win a championship. There was a guy who knew this was going to happen. Ward 6 City Councilor Phil Squire knew it was going to happen, knew how many games it would take. We'll prove that after news. He'll join us. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Okay, if you were watching the Raptors win last night, maybe you were at Jurassic Park on Dundas Place. If you hung in there right to the end, you know that there was a lot of doubt. The Raptors ended up with a one-point lead, and sure, Clay Thompson was out of the game for the Golden State Warriors, but even with that one-point lead, they were at a stage where Golden State probably had to foul and put the Raptors on the free throw line and hope that they missed one or at least then they would be up by three and Golden State could still have a chance to tie. And you had the ball inbounded into the backcourt and Kawhi Leonard had it. Kawhi Leonard fed it ahead to Danny Green and Draymond Green of the Warriors got right in his face and forced him to make this kind of off-kilter pass that went off Pascal Siakam's hand out of bounds. Turnover. All of a sudden, Golden State has a chance to win the game. So there has been all of this doubt all the way along, even though the Raptors played really well through the first five games and had themselves a 3-2 series lead. That's not easy against a team like Golden State, even with their injuries, that has won as many times as they have won. They know how to do it. They don't panic. They don't feel pressure. And so there was always doubt. Everybody had doubt in their minds. Except for one person. That one person joins us now. Ward 6 counselor Phil Squire, who predicted the Raptors in six. Counselor Squire, yeah. how you doing? I'm doing good. I feel great today. I feel great about the Raptors. And I really was confident. And I knew it was going to end in six, of course, before the series started. So I relaxed. Exactly. Well, and... We need to hear just how confident Councillor Squire was. So let's take you back in time a little bit. Here is Councillor Squire prior to Game 1 of the NBA Finals. This is before the series even started, speaking on London Live. The Raptors are going to win in six. I love this prediction already. Raptors. I'm going on the limb. In six. I'm going to write that down. Is that okay? Thank you. Yeah, you write it down. Okay. And then, um, you know, I'd like to – I'm – my next career is going to be as a sports prognosticator, so this is this is the start. Good. Well, you're off to a good start because Excellent. you're you're going against the betting line, but that's what you have to Don't do in care. order to be successful this as a sports I do at prognosticator. City Council. Yeah. This is what I do. This is my thing. <laughs> I I go against the the majority line and take a little bit of risk. Take a little bit of risk, Councillor Squire. You nailed it. You didn't just pick yeah. that they win. They they yeah. would win. You nailed it. You said Raptors in six. Well, I, I mostly did that for Craig Needles because I've been listening to this guy Needles on the radio making all these sports statements and everything. <laughs> and finally, I just said I've had enough, and I, I wanted to lay it down for him. 
and uh, I heard a rumor that he's offered to buy me a beer. Is this true? I don't know. I, I could uh, lean my head into the newsroom where he's working hard and see. Ah, I, I, I can't say one way or the other right, right. now. You, that's well, between yeah. you and him. Well, nobody has seen Needle's wallet in a number of years, so I'm uh, I'm hopeful that it's, it's possible. And no, uh, you you can buy me a beer, but it will have no influence on anything I did. So I I had a great time with this, and I don't know how it came to me, but I just knew they were going to win. And uh, what I really love about the Raptors, they're such a Canadian team, you know, uh, Kawhi's attitude, so Canadian, right? Um, you know, no bragging. I'm just going to do my job and get it done. And then Fred Van Fleet, he loses a tooth. What could be more Canadian? So, I mean, whatever happens from now on in, this is a really uh, high watermark for Canadian sports, bringing the country together, bringing the city together on, in Jurassic Park. It's really been great. So, yeah. I mean, that's a lifetime thing. The turnout downtown of every city, you mentioned yeah. just bringing Canada together for everybody to have a jurassic park you could have said a year ago you know what every city in canada should have a, a jurassic park for games that the raptors yeah. play people look at you and say that's crazy that's not going to happen no one would do that no the reason we do i mean we do it for the blue jays when they do great because it's the only baseball team this is the only basketball team if the leafs for instance were were winning the stanley cup i would be down there with my montreal canadians jersey booing but <laughs> I would be Canadian careful. Team. Be be very careful when you do that. Ah, you know, police fans. What can you say? <laughs> but I mean, now I'm making real friends on the radio, right? But I mean, it's it's it was just a great moment. But the the way that team carried itself, it was it was the way Canadians like to think about ourselves. Humble. Let's just get the job done. You know, and even the team we played was not a you know an evil team. They were they were a great team with really uh, a great coach, players who faced a lot of adversity. They did great too. So even from their point of view, what a story for them. It is there was tragedy, there was you know that effort that they put in. It was it was just great all the way around. Yeah, if you were taking this in a literature class and you looked at this yeah. series in a literature class, this would have yeah. everything. Oh yeah, you had the the vanquished hero, the new hero. It's just it's it's great stuff and we're really lucky that it did it happen in Canada? And as usual, Canadians party, but nothing, nothing too bad happens. We uh, we enjoy ourselves, but it's all it's all in good fun. Definitely, we're talking with Ward Six Councillor Phil Squire. It will eventually, for everybody, be back to business. I think a lot of bosses oh, will look the other way today. Yeah, uh, somebody had the the little release form that said for teachers to uh, just yell out let's go raptors and those in the right. class that we were sleeping would yeah they would they would snap to attention but oh, eventually yeah. we do get back into things we do. while we have you here can sure. we talk a little bit about next week's planning meeting Absolutely. because there's going to be a lot of talk about redevelopment what to do yep. in and around Victoria Park what would yep. you like to see well first of all i think uh, the plan that's coming back which which is something that, that they've been working on. I'm a little disappointed because there's nothing, for me, there's not a lot new in it. In other words, I knew this was coming. I knew which areas they were going to say, you know, you can develop to a certain height. Um, other areas, I knew they were going to say, uh, no, you're not going to be able to do that. The difficulty I have is we really need to look at where are the areas that we have people ready to develop. Um, it's easy to put uh, a place on a map and say, oh, you can build here. Well, what if nobody's interested in building that? And so I think we're going to have to have a really hard look at the shovel-ready development and say, what is the issue here with this building being built? And particularly, there's, there's an Auburn Developments proposal we all know about on the corner of Wolf Street in Wellington, um, and it's one that, that, that our staff doesn't think should be built to the height that they want. 
I think that will be sort of the battleground, whether we're prepared to let that company, you know, go ahead and develop there. The challenge for me is um, I, th- I think we really have to recognize that we shouldn't be rezoning places where there's no possibility of something being built. I also think we have to recognize the need for more uh, units in London, units of that type. So I'm not necessarily uh, thrilled with what I've seen so far, but I, I remain open as to, to hearing from different people as, as to what they want to do. But this is a, this is a big issue that, that I think is going to have a lot of debate. We've already had a lot of public input. The question is, uh, what do we want to do in that area? Are we going to stay where we are? Um, or are we going to move forward and, and continue what we're doing downtown, getting more residential units, more people downtown? That'll lead to more retail, more restaurants, hopefully a grocery store. Uh, that's what I'd like to see. And that's just it. I mean, that could be within our grasp, could it not? The grocery store downtown, all of these developments, the population increasing downtown. And it's coming. I mean, I, I work downtown. And, and I walk downtown quite a bit. And one of the things I'm seeing downtown is I'm running into people I know. I've lived in London my whole life who have recently retired. And I say, oh, what brings you downtown? Because I've never seen them downtown. And they will say, oh, we just rented a condo over here. We just bought a condo over here. And there are all of these new developments that are bringing people back downtown. And we all know the more people we have downtown, and we just saw it in the last weekend with Jurassic Park, um, we're going to get events. We're going to have things happening. And when you have things happening... You have less of the problems, you know, with uh, that you're seeing downtown, and, and you're seeing less of the sort of absentee landlords, vacant spaces. I'm really hoping that we'll look at Victoria Park as an opportunity to to extend what we're doing on Richmond Street and downtown, provide a link between the two, and I, I think it will be fantastic if we can do that to link up all the way from our Flex Street right up to Richmond Row. If we can do that, and it's reasonable. That's not something I'm going to dismiss out of hand. All right. Well, we'll look forward to see what comes out of this and the discussion that follows. Uh, any other sports predictions you yeah, might I got want a big to make? One. I got a big one. Okay. The, Blue, the Toronto Blue Jays will not win the World Series. I'm going to write that down. Toronto Please, Blue don't Jays. Don't forget that one. I wrote down the last one you made. Toronto Blue yeah. Jays will not win the World Series. They're building toward another one. That's what we've got to hope. And that'll be my next prediction. It'll be what, when they will do it, and I can't do that right now. But um, I'm hopeful for the Montreal Canadiens next year. So talk to me in the fall, and I'll start making some hockey predictions. Can't wait. Councillor Squire, you have a great weekend. Same to you. Bye now. Ward 6 Councillor Phil Squire. Predicted Raptors in six. You heard the conviction in his voice, and it winds up coming true. Stay close to that guy if you're a sports fan. He can tell you what's about to happen. Toronto Blue Jays will not win the World Series. Let's take a break. Up next, we'll finish the show focusing in on some soccer. We know that Shalina Zadorsky and Jesse Fleming are getting set to play New Zealand tomorrow in Canada's second match at the Women's World Cup of Soccer. Canada is 1-0. There is a name you need to know on the men's side, and we'll get to know it next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Getting on a radar for anything, doesn't matter what job you're going after, doesn't matter what you want to do, it's not easy. It's not easy. But if you can do it, wow, do doors open for you. At one point, Shalina Zadorsky and Jesse Fleming, Kyla Novak, Jade Kovacevic, they were all off the radar in the soccer world. Now, they are local household names for what they do. 
Shalina and Jesse will play tomorrow in match number two for Team Canada at the Women's World Cup of Soccer. On the men's side, there's a name that you need to know. He's still very young, but just made Canada's men's under-17 team. His name is Ilya Himeris, and we are able to talk right now with his goalkeeper trainer. And his goalkeeper trainer is a great guy by the name of Peter Rickabon, and he joins us on London Live. Peter, how are you doing? Fantastic. And yourself, Mike? Not bad. We're getting immersed in soccer, even amidst everything else that's going on in the sports world. Canada at the Women's World Cup of Soccer. We know that we have been producing all kinds of great soccer players on the women's side. On the men's side, every once in a while it does happen, and it appears to be happening again. What can you tell us about Ilias? Well, things are going in a positive route for Ilias. Uh, right now he's uh, involved with the uh, Toronto FC Academy, which is um, a well-developed program here in Ontario and, and throughout Canada as well. And uh, he's... Um, what we're looking at is uh, we're looking at his future, and he has the full intentions of um, playing at the international level. And so his next step right now, we're hoping that he can get on the uh, Canadian uh, national program right now. Um, he's already had uh, a tryout here just uh, about maybe a month and a half ago in Florida with the Canadian uh, men's team that uh, is, has qualified for the uh, under-17 World Cup that will be happening uh, this, I think, this November in uh, Brazil. And that sounds like something that's a pretty big piece of radar. If you get to that point, what does that mean for you as a player? Well, as a player, it means that you, are, you, you have a chance to be carded and to be looked at uh, at the uh, international level with uh, teams in Europe and uh, other teams here in North America and uh, throughout the world as well. So the opportunity uh, could be uh, very enormous for a young fellow you know, his age. We're talking with Peter Rickabon, goalkeeper trainer for Elias Himeris, who is one of those top soccer players in this area, a goalkeeper. To identify that a goalkeeper is really, really good, what are you looking for? Well, we're looking for him to make sure he has the right techniques. Um, it's, it's essential that he's got um, very good footwork, and then from there that uh, he can develop and be uh, trained at a, a proper level, um, being that he can, he's coachable and he's got the right techniques to become a goalie. Uh, it's the best technique is, is to learn how to play the game first as being a player and then evolve from being a player to becoming a goalkeeper. And that's a road that he took. Yes, it is. It is. And, and it's worked in his favor because he, um, right now, the goalkeepers, um, well, teams are looking at to make sure that goalkeepers have really good footwork. So when they uh, create uh, uh, an outlet pass or uh, any type of um, knowledge of the game as well, because it, it takes uh, a good knowledge of playing the game and understanding the game to be a, a good player. We're talking with Peter Rickabon, who is the goalkeeper trainer for Elias Himeris, who is on that radar on the men's side nationally. In terms of physical attributes, in so many sports, you want to be a great basketball player and you're 5'10", that maybe is not going to work for you. In terms of being a soccer keeper, are physical attributes key? They're, they're always key into any sport. But uh, the way that I look at it as well, that you know, if you're, you need to be a certain height. 
I, the way I look at it is if you're anything over six foot five and, and playing in net, it makes you a, a slower um, uh, goalkeeper in, in, in the sense of um, shots that are coming at you and that you're reacting properly and quickly to them. I always say that if you're anything over like six foot five, you're better off playing basketball because you can play at a, uh, a certain tempo with those athletes because when you're in net and the players are usually, you know, if you're lucky around six feet so or even shorter, that they're, they're, the movement is much quicker and faster. And so you want to be at a certain height where it doesn't affect you that way. And uh, if you have those right attributes, then everything will work in, into your favor. Peter, we've got such a, a real uh, trickle down of soccer now. When you look at whether it's League One Ontario that goes into the CPL that eventually could get you toward MLS, what can you tell us about this time to be a good soccer player in Canada? Can you compare it to anything? Is this the best you've ever seen? Yeah, we're really fortunate that, that we've uh, we've gone this route, and hopefully it does work into our favor because this way we're not worried about you know having well having to compete at the international level with local players, where these players now are getting uh, better exposure, uh, better training, um, and and hopefully that with this uh, the CPL that it can help expand um, the, the clubs and have academy teams. So the players can develop a, a lot better uh, and quicker as well, and to kind of just be in, in par almost with the Europeans. It might take a while, but we're we're getting there, which is really important. Well, one of those steps could wind up being one that takes one of London's own all the way to a pretty high height in the sport of soccer. Peter, thanks so much for the time today. Thank you, then. Peter Rickabon. He is the goalkeeper trainer for Elias Himaris. Name to get to know. Tomorrow, Shalina Zadorsky, Jesse Fleming, and Team Canada taking on New Zealand. We have Blue Jays baseball for you tonight. Ooh, they are in tough. They are in Houston, home of the best team in baseball right now. We'll take one final break on London Live and be back to close out the show next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Plan the parade. Now they can. Now they have. We'll have details on that coming up in news as the Toronto Raptors will be celebrated on Monday with a big parade. It'll just pave the way for when the Leafs can do it, right? Right? Right now, Teresa Carrier is finishing up one run, be it St. Andre Bissette, any time after four and before seven to congratulate her, running 100 kilometers in a day to help those battling cancer. Thanks to Kelly Wong for her help today. London Live is brought to you by Courtesy Ford Lincoln at 684 Warncliffe Road South. News is next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.